Hi, podcasting from New York. They say if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. This is Pushing Boundaries. Most of today's commentary on complex social issues is binary, unproductive, and flat-out lazy. With this podcast, I'm looking to hopefully elevate these conversations, and as a lifelong educator, hopefully learn a few things along with you. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. to this episode when do we take off our mask there's a lot going on now um we're living in the time of all uh, the coronavirus uh, it's been identified as a pandemic we've known uh we've seen all the uh, silly things that people are doing to avoid one another we know that there's some important things people are doing in terms of social dis- distancing and uh, quarantining themselves we know that uh the movement in the city uh, in cities have slowed dramatically. Uh, travel has come to a standstill, unless it's an emergency. Uh, we know that these are very difficult uh, times in terms of our quality of life um, and our ability to have choices. Um, we don't have many choices, but um, things that are shown to us through uh, television, um, through the social interactions we have with people that are living with us, um, what we can accomplish through um, forms of communication like the telephone or email uh, work has been transformed into uh, a model that's unknown to many in terms of those who you know those who are in corporate structures are familiar with this on occasion but uh, for it to be um, a full lifestyle in terms of how you do your work and how you do your business is very different um, the way we go shopping and the way we um, Engage in <clears throat> and engage in um, uh, buying food and, and purchasing services is very different. Uh, this is, has major implications on where we go from here. Major learnings in terms of what we were, what we were ready for and what we weren't ready for. We know that we did not have enough masks. We know that the uh, medical structure or the infrastructure could not service us and service the many other illnesses that we have as uh, people. Um, we know that this coronavirus is, is deadly for some, but not for many. Uh, we know that, um, coronavirus is hard to tell right now. Uh, is it a coronavirus or is it the flu? Or is it an allergy? We know that the tests are not standardized yet. Uh, tests are still being explored and, and, and evaluated and being tested. And, and, you know, there, I don't know what kind of risks are coming from those, those tests, but I know that, um, they're not always accurate. And so we don't know who really has it and who doesn't have it. Um, we don't know what the implications of that going forward is. And we don't know the, we we know of some of the confusion and those who are in the medical uh, profession uh, know of the confusion that's happening in those hospitals. And even in the medical profession, on a, on the medical, medical practitioners, whether they be at all, any level and from the administration of a hospital or the administration um, in the NIH or, or the CDC or um, within 
the the constituencies of doctors and nurses, there's no consistency on the right way of avoiding this, of the the impact on, on one's body, um, and the the systems the systems of of structures in hospitals in terms of when someone comes in and as as an as a patient, and they're being admitted. Um, there's some inconsistencies there. So there's a lot of learnings that are coming from here, but no doubt these learnings are going to change um, the quality of life that we have. And just, you know, just getting into a topic, you know, there, people are so, some people are, are so concerned about this virus. They've gone to uh, lengths to protect themselves. And some lengths have been uh, bizarre and absurd and uh, other lengths have been, uh, uh, appropriate. Uh, we know that there are many people who have isolated themselves and are not coming out of their homes and haven't been out of their homes in quite some time, maybe in 30 days. Um, we know some people who are having cabin fever and, and, and have to get outside of their homes and they're out in the public and they're moving around and they're trying to find some normalcy and things that are not normal. Um, we know that there, there, there was a, 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 a Instagram report or Facebook report about um, the things that people are most engaged in right now. And in that report, they said that people are, are mostly engaged in um, pornography, uh, eating. Um, <clears throat> uh, there's, a, there's a social drinking, alcohol. Um, and they were there, I think there were two other things. But, you know, a little, little, um, not surprising. Um, those are the things that we have right now that distract us. On a normal day, there are so many other things that can distract us when we're moving and we're f we have freedom of movement. Um, you know that can distract us and give us alternatives to monotony of everyday living, right? Um, so let's go into topic one. Let's go into education. What's the impact on education? And this, this, you know, this this episode is not to be a negative episode, but this is just to highlight. Some of the questions that we have in terms of where do we go from here? So with education, we know that in that K through 12, which is kindergarten through 12th grade, there's a major disruption in terms of that model. Uh, we know that the, the education has been obsolete for some time in its, in its standing model, uh, which is brick and mortar, uh, 34 in the classroom, um, you know, four walls, uh, factory model, moving through buildings, you know, that standardized life and warehouse model, which it doesn't exist in any corporate model, is obsolete. And now we've been forced to go to a remote learning. And remote learning is very different in that kids are uh, self-directed and engage various mediums to, to um, <clears throat> absorb some sort of learning that's going to take them to another stage. Now, Remote learning, there's a lot of problems with that right now. We won't talk about that now, but, you know, does it make sense in its format that's trying to emulate uh, the brick and mortar school? So what does that look like? Um, what does it look like in the, in the fact that in this warehouse model where you have thousands of kids who are entering a building, entering a cafeteria space, entering classroom, moving through uh, a building in a herd model are no longer um, viable in terms of public health? as of right now um, and going forward will it be viable because this is still uh, something this is a new way of living in terms of uh, public health when things uh, become pandemics or things become uh, we when, when we want to stop the spread of illnesses how do we do that in the current structures we have 
um, colleges are, are virtually shut down now. They've moved to virtual learning. You know, college, you know, is in an extraordinary experience for those who have the opportunity to engage it, but it's a rites of passage in that, you know, you begin to develop your own independency, your own independence, and you develop uh, a confidence in having this, this sacred space that is sheltered, that allows you to um, go through some social growth and intellectual growth and, and mental growth and just establishing your identity in terms of where you want to go. Now, colleges are very different right now. They look very different. They're going to look very different going forward. Colleges have already gone into the remote platform, which is remote learning, which is internet-based learning or Blackboard or not Blackboard, but internet-based learning or learning that is not um, directly connected to a physical person, that it is connected to a physical person in through virtually or through the internet, you get a body of information. But in terms of this this body body um, shared space that no longer is um, existing in many classrooms. Um, you have a, a blended instruction. We have those that go into classrooms to learn, but then you have also those classrooms that are um, mixed. And then trades, right? Um, those people who are going to school for plumbing and electrical work, um, where do they stand in this work right now? Because they can't do this. You know, one of the things education answers is the call for uh, skilled labor whether that be at our highest levels or the lowest level, education is driven by the need in the environment for a certain kind of work. And right now the work that the landscape is changing, right? And so what's, what's driving the environment? We know that right now it's, it's remote learning and we know that it's the medical profession. Those are the areas that we are going to be growing in um, because we have to answer the question right now. We have to answer our concerns or we have to answer the gaps in our structures based on this pandemic, and we have a lot of gaps. And so our demand on education is going to be um, addressing that. Um, <clears throat> our, and it's, it has largely to do with our freedom of movement. If we're not able to move and, and the, our government is taking on a new practice in terms of uh, dictating and suggesting when people can move and use public transportation in order to control some sort of, um, <clears throat> to, to, to um, disrupt a pandemic, that the potential of a pandemic, then there has to be limitations on movements. And that if this becomes a reality of life, what does that look like in the way we communicate and we do our business on a regular basis? Meaning that we're going to have options now, right? There's the option of us being out there and in, to, in together in, in, in a crowd, and then there's going to be options of us being isolated and moving um, our agendas that way so that the economy continues to move forward. This has major implications on our economy um, because we know that in not moving forward and, you know, again, education is one of the major driving forces for the uh, health of an, of an economy is because when you have multiple multitudes of people going into work uh, as teachers, as educators, and a multitude of people going into classrooms uh, to learn, which is kids and, and them having a place to go during the day so that parents can work. And this is K through 12, all of this, the supervision needed all the way through that. Um, and when those structures are disrupted, you know, there's no one going to the bodega or going to small stores or, 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 or teachers going out to restaurants. Or there, there's a limitation on, on happy hour. There's, there's a limitation on transportation in terms of how people move and what people are willing to, to pay for. And all of those things are disrupted. People are not shopping, right? And so this is having a major impact on our small businesses. Of course, we know small businesses are the first to uh, be impacted by this.
they're the first to uh, <clears throat> to go out of business. You know, everybody wants to jump into business, but the uh, the the truth of the matter is that when in your when you're in small business, you're almost closest to that um, you're almost living on a, like a one check situation in terms of those who are employed for people too. You know, like you you can go under by not having a, a good day of business, right? And if you're talking about people are having weeks of no business, this is most certainly taking those businesses under, right? Um, and so this is going to have implications on how government tries to um, tries to uh, inject, you know, life into those small businesses after life. This life is over, right? And what do those small businesses look like? Of course, we know that the small businesses that are working are have the ability to uh, operate with a, uh, a lean staff and 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 send out services to your doorfront, right? Those are the businesses that are operating, though, that are still in existence. Any business requiring you to walk in the door, they're struggling. And typically, we can just use an easy example, your local gym, right? Your local gyms are not doing well right now because people, you don't have... A hundred people in there on a treadmill, on the weights, or, or, or services like that. You, those services are, are, you know, non-existent right now. Um, the other thing for that 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 is going to come from this, and that's going to alter the way we exist, and and you know, and all of this is well, the reason why I'm going to go back is to is when we take the mask off, is that we're we're, we're experiencing um, post stress traumatic disorders, right? And so when this is over, we're still going to be wearing a mask, although we may not be wearing a physical mask, we're going to be wearing a mental mask, right? And this mental mask is going to be based on biases, right? And those biases are from the experiences we lived through during this pandemic. Um, you know, I talked to a guy um, in my community and he's a, a MTA driver and his concern was, why is my life less important than other people's lives? You know, and the, the whole, the, you know, this comes about from the essential workers term, right? And essential workers term is actually almost a bias, right? We, we, we do understand that we have to have law enforcement. We have to have those individuals out there in the front because we have to keep law and order. We have to keep uh, the, the, um, our communities organized and we have to get information across, you know, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that it's fair to those people who have to go out there and do that work. Right. And there, there is a bias in terms of what's important and not important. And um, there's some value to that, though, in that bias. Um, and those essential workers are feeling slighted. They're feeling um, they're feeling um, uh, undervalued, and it's going to have some implications going forward in terms of the protections that we provide for those people that are out there right now during this pandemic. What is the you know what's the responsibility of the virus, right? So there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there in terms of who's responsible for this, right? Is it is it is this uh, man-made? Uh, has this was this created? Uh, came out of uh, China through some sort of uh, um, interaction with uh, an animal, right? Or or is this something that was created out of a laboratory, you know? Or is this something that that pharmaceuticals have uh, uh, created to create some sort of um, response to it? or some medication to it, right? To drive the economy or drive this new way of doing business, right? Um, what is the intentional behind this and who's responsible for this virus? Is this virus a natural uh, um, occurrence that's just come out of nature's need to address whatever it needs to address? Or is this something that man has, um, um, has something to do with? Um, and so what does that mean for crowded spaces? Will we be comfortable in crowded spaces? You know, I know that the government and um, the governor in New York City is going to be working with the tri-state area, uh, Rhode Island, uh, New Jersey, New York, uh, Long Island, 
um, you know, these other these areas are going to, to Connecticut are going to come together uh, and model something similar to what they're doing in California, Sacramento, Sacramento, and Oregon. Um, they're going to uh, slowly release the population um, back into the environment, right? Uh, so it's going to be like a slow release. This is pretty interesting because we, we we're talking about um, slowly um, birthing crowds again, right? And People are, you know, people are, you know, there's a lot of trust issues right now in terms of who people can be around and how safe they feel envir in, in environments and how clean our environments are. You know, um, there's been a real attention to cleanliness of, of spaces and air quality and, you know, the ability to move and protect yourself when, you you know, in these spaces. And so there's a major distrust that uh, this country is going to have to deal with. Uh, coming out of this bias now this is has this is not not this is not nothing new because we've had the bubonic plague we had measles which is the bubonic plague we had you know uh multiple we had ebola we had multiple um uh uh illnesses or or um health uh health uh, uh challenges that have um changed the the way people live right um so we will overcome because we're, we're humans and, and humans overcome and that was that's what makes us different from um you know animals and that we, we we are able to we have the will and desire to figure it out and make the best of every situation and so we will overcome this but there are questions right and the questions of how do we live from now how do we live from now and how do we live after um everybody's concerned about vaccinations and trusting you know vaccination now, i'm concerned about it too because i've never heard of a vaccination for a cold i've never heard of a vaccination for um the flu and so how do you have a vaccination for the coronaviruses which is in a similar category as that you know and that's just from a layperson's um understanding so you know i'm concerned about what does that mean you know vaccinations um and does it really work you know we know that the flu vaccination they came out with that several years ago and then the flu the flu uh began to uh, change, right? And there was a different strain of the flu and sort of the uh, the flu vaccination didn't work. So I'm just, I'm you know, what is the point? You know, most vaccinations, when you give it to a person, they work unless there's some sort of um, change in it that's either natural or uh, genetically engineered. Um, jobs, what jobs? You know, there's a there's a huge question going with, with many uh, businesses right now, corporations and small businesses, uh, medium businesses. You know, they they are going to see what's really important right now in terms of overhead. Is it important for me to have 30 people here doing this work when I can do it remotely with five people? Right. Um, those people who have businesses that are um, that are servicing HR and servicing uh, different components of a corporation are doing very well right now. And so more corporations are going to be moving toward um, uh, uh, what is it? What's the word I'm looking for? They're going to be moving toward. Um, uh, uh, looking for um, sub not subscribers, but looking to subcontract uh, services to support their needs in order their in their needs in their business, and so that's going to be very very interesting. Uh, we know that this this impact on the economy because people are not moving, because people are not using services, because people are not spending money, uh, because people are not receiving money uh, to pay others, and that the government is lifting, um, or creating a bridge. Uh, to to stave off uh, unemployment, or they're trying to at least, and uh, joblessness and and just the other circumstances that come behind not having a job, you know, which is, you know, you know, being able to live, you know, you're gonna have major layoffs coming, right? 
And these major layoffs are going to create a definite strain on the economy in terms of uh, what's available, right? Um, we know that in New York City, they have a program called Summer Youth Employment Program. Summer Youth Employment Program is really for your highest need um, individuals, young people uh, that are from uh, uh, anywhere from uh, 14 to 21, I think it's 24 now, 14 to 24, who are able to uh, receive jobs in different industries um, to receive a stipend or a, a summer check, which is about uh, two months two two months of work, so that they can um, you know have some money in their pockets. Well, that program, um, as of two weeks ago, was eliminated by New York City, and that for two years. Um, and so you have seventy five thousand youth who are going to be out of uh, jobs for the summer during the summer. And so, and you have college students who are no longer in colleges who are doing remote learning are, are not on campuses and they are going to be looking for jobs and especially during the summer. Um, and then you have the layoffs, right? And so you have the added um, uh, pressure of unemployment through, you have adults now looking for jobs with young people looking for jobs and they're all looking for the same jobs. We've seen this already happening uh, when we go to places like McDonald's and you see adults working there and, they, and they're actually working there as a career. We see this happening in, in places like Target. You know, unfortunately, you know, right now, the people that are mostly out there as essential workers and the people that are working in these supermarkets and working in these, these uh, highly um, contagious environments are young people, right? Or people who who are, or who've been undereducated or have... Um, um, they're, they're caught in a socioeconomic bind. They are the ones that are in the front line and having to expose themselves daily to this. You know, when this evolution of jobs occur and the kind of skills that are needed to engage these new type of jobs that are probably remote platforms working from your home and not being in the same space, what are we going to be able to do without? Now, we already know that there's a transition in New York City. We've seen it already in terms of we've gone from having... Uh, toll booths to no toll booths to ticket uh, masses to where you can buy a metro car to get on the train or the bus uh, through a machine. We, we've seen this with um, the, the elimination of toll booths. We've seen this uh, uh, with uh, bus stops. Now you have the metro car providers. Uh, we've seen, so we, we're seeing a lot of um, services that are being provided by AI, right? Or artificial intelligence or devices or machinery that it doesn't, um, create opportunities for people to be uh, in some sort of social interaction. And so that is real. We will see an evolution of jobs. What will that look like? We will know shortly. Real estate will be looking very different. You know, one of the things we complained about in New York was, um, and all over the country right now, is gentrification, right? Well, gentrification in urban areas is going to be in question right now. Because urban areas are the most dangerous when it comes to pandemics. There's no place to go. We're talking about on a West Side Highway, you know, you have you may have over 300,000. Let me say that over 400,000 people. No, I, let me go. I'm going to go down. On them. Let's be less generous. Let's say 300,000 people on a block. Now, you're asking them to have social distancing. They have to come out. They have to come out to eat. They may have to come out and get some air. They have to come out of their homes at some point and some time. Now, imagine you have just, let's say, 20 apartments on the floor. And there are, in those 20 apartments, you have 50 to 60, 50, 40, maybe 40 people living in them on each floor. And you have several floors. We're talking, you know, we're having buildings that have 33 floors. 
They're coming out of the buildings, right? They have to get on the elevators. Just just imagine the interaction the hallways, the, the elevator, the, the buttons, the, the front door, you know, coming out and then there's a single park uh, or there's a single stretch of land, but there's next door, there's an equal amount of capacity in terms of people that live in those apartments coming out. There's nowhere to go without social distancing. You know, it's almost impossible to be six feet apart. So suburban, so, so urban communities provide a real dilemma in terms of pandemics and um, health, right? And, and so, and, and being able to clean and fully service these environments in a way that creates consistent clean, uh, um, uh, consistency, uh, consistency in how clean they are, right? That's going to create a real challenge because, you know, as soon as you clean the door, there's another person walking behind you. And so there's, you know, that, that's a real concern. And so what is that, what's the impact on real estate now? Um, and suburban, suburban communities, you know, they actually want in this, right, in this environment. In suburban communities, you know, you're going to find that the the outbreak was was far less, right? Because there's 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 a separation, there's there's a natural separation in those communities uh, that create the natural social distancing, right? Uh, so those outbreaks are the, the are those who are coming up infected is going to be far less than the urban environment. It'd be it'd be interesting to see the statistics on that. Suburban outbreaks versus urban outbreaks. And we can probably uh, guess that urban outbreak is probably going to be a lot higher than suburban outbreak. Urban planning. What does that mean for urban planning? When we think about health, right? Um, we've had this problem before. You know, when we talk about um, in, in early Europe, you know, in terms of the lack of sewer systems and, and all of those things that created the, the um, conditions for the bubonic plague and, and the spread of disease, those are things that we have to think about again now in this in this new urban structure is how do we create uh, clean spaces for people to exist, um, right? And with for large amounts of people to exist, how do we create those clean spaces? You know, and that's gonna that's gonna talk about you know what does the sidewalk look like? You know, what does the wall look like? Um, how does a door operate for people? You know, what's the what does it look like in order for me to make a transition to get on, a transaction to get on the train? or a transaction to ride a train, or a transaction to walk a street with several people around me, right? And so urban planners now have to begin to grapple with this new idea of how we live and how we cope, because it's no longer viable just to put people together and have the the um, the uh, potential of something like the coronavirus, um, despite vaccinations. Mask on, get mask on. Thanks for listening to Pushing Boundaries. Once again, my name is Sharif Rucker. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do me a favor by commenting, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with everyone you know. All of these things are free and take very little effort, but would mean the world to me. Thanks again and stay tuned.